Our sermon text this morning, again, as we continue through the Ten Commandments, is in Exodus 20. We are in verse 15 as we begin to consider the Eighth Commandment. And as you'll see, this is one commandment we probably feel pretty good about when you go through the Ten Commandments. Most of us think, well, you know, I... I really don't have a problem with theft. I have not stolen. Uh, Maybe some of us have, but as we'll see, we are all guilty of violating this commandment in some way, and so we all need Jesus Christ to be our righteousness. So Exodus 20 and verse 15, this is God's Word. The Lord says, you shall not steal. Let us pray. Father in heaven, again, we do thank you for your word. We would ask that you would open our hearts and our minds, give us careful understanding into its truths. Let your spirit now attend to the preaching, the proclamation of your word, so that it might, within the hearts of your people, encourage them and exhort them and build them up in their faith. And for those who are not your people, that you would draw them to Christ, that you would show them their need because of their own unrighteousness, that they cannot come to you but through Christ alone. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So there is a classic cover of the Saturday Evening Post, and if you're familiar with the covers of the Saturday Evening Post, they usually feature paintings by uh, Norman Rockwell. This one is painted by Leslie Thrasher, who painted several copies, and his uh, painting looks just like a Rockwell painting. But in this particular cover and painting, there is a woman uh, who is purchasing a chicken or a turkey, or some sort of bird from, from a butcher. And as that chicken is ha- on the hanging scale, the woman is smiling and has a finger underneath, and she's quietly pushing up on that scale so to make the chicken lighter and, and pay less and get a better deal. But across from her is the butcher, and he, with a smile on his face, unbeknownst to the woman, is pushing down on the top of the scale so as to make the chicken seem heavier and thus get more money from the woman. It's a, it's a, a whimsical painting. We chuckle at it, and uh, we wouldn't uh, think much of it other than giving it a laugh. But what's interesting about that painting is that both the woman and the butcher are violating the Eighth Commandment. Now, our attitude towards the Eighth Commandment, as I said, is we usually don't really see ourselves as thieves, so we think, hey, we're pretty good about this. And certainly that woman and that butcher wouldn't have thought that they are thieves in any way. In a survey of professing evangelical Christians that was done some time ago, uh, 86% of evangelical Christians responded that They keep the Eighth Commandment, and they thus fulfill God's requirement of not stealing. And so they feel pretty good about it. And I think, as I said, when it comes to all the other commandments, when we see this one, we're like, all right, this I can do. I'm not a thief in any way. And yet, as we'll see, 
as with all of God's commandments, what God requires here goes far deeper than what we think. God's righteousness and the righteous demand of His law is far greater than at what we first imagine. Because what this commandment, the Eighth Commandment, is really aimed at is how much we trust God's providence in our lives. Are we content with what He gives us, or are we wanting something more? Do we think we deserve more than the grace which He has given and His provision in our lives? In other words, the Eighth Commandment is aimed at our faith and God's goodness towards us. And we can summarize it like this, that the big idea behind this commandment is that God has graciously given us all that we need. And so we must trust His wise and sovereign providence rather than hurt our neighbors by taking what is not ours, either physically or in our hearts. And so what does this commandment then teach us about the character of God? What do we learn about Him? Remember, every commandment teaches us four things. It teaches us something about God. It instructs us on how we are to live. It then confronts us with our own unrighteousness, our fallen hearts that we all have apart from God's work in Christ. And then it shows us the promise of Christ and how He fulfills this law for us so that through Him we might fulfill it to the glory of God. And so what do we learn about God from this eighth commandment? Why would God give us this commandment, you shall not steal? Well, He gives us this commandment because God cares about physical things. He cares about the material world. Now, that is something that we probably don't readily think about when it comes to God, because after all, God is not physical. God is a spirit. He is infinite, eternal, unchangeable in His being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. And since He is a spirit, He would be concerned mainly with spiritual things, of which He certainly is. But God created a physical world. He spoke everything that we can touch and hear and taste and see into existence simply by His Word. And God, who out of the sheer pleasure of His will, forms majestic mountains and beautiful sunrises and brilliant flowers, thundering oceans, and intelligent, creative, rational beings. So God certainly is concerned then about the material world. I mean, He could have done things differently. He could have created us to be just spirits. Now, He has given us a spirit or a soul, which are the same thing, but He places that within a physical body. And He designed a whole physical, material universe for us to live in and to enjoy. And so God is very much concerned about physical things, about the physical world. He made it, and that is why He commands us not to steal, not to take that which does not belong to us, but instead to trust in His gracious provision. You see, since God has created all things, 
He is Lord over all things. Ultimately, everything you have, every possession belongs firstly to him. And so the psalmist declares in Psalm 50, every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle of a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine, says the Lord. If I were hungry, I would tell you for the world and its fullness are mine. God can rightly say that because he has made all things. He has no need of anything from his creation. He is entirely independent and self-sufficient. You know, the pagan gods of the Old Testament that you see in the land of Canaan, uh, one of the things that the, the Canaanites believed was that they had to give sacrifices of food in order to sustain those gods and goddesses because they could not sustain themselves. In other words, those idols depended upon the people to provide for them. But God completely distinguishes himself as not needing anything from his creation. He is wholly other. And instead, his creation derives all that they need from him and him alone. And we receive his gracious providence for his glory, for his name's sake. So the Apostle Paul writes those words that we're familiar with in Romans 11. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. So God cares about his creation because he is a reasonable Lord. And that's what a reasonable Lord does over his possessions, over his treasures, over what he owns. In fact, we all do that to some extent. I mean, if you have a car, you probably care for it. You will wash it or change its oil, do maintenance, repairs as needed. Some of us are probably better at that than others. But the point is we care for those things that we own. And so God cares for his creation, for all of it belongs to him. And we see that through this command then to not steal. And so since God cares about his creation, we learn a couple other things about God. We learn then that he will provide and he will protect his creation. He will provide for it and protect it. As you see, God is a caring providence who gives us what we need. In other words, he provides what we need in order to live. He sustains us. And that is grounded in the very creation of this world. So when God makes Adam, we read in Genesis 1.29, God says to him, behold, I have given you Every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. Furthermore, upon creating all that exists, God gives to Adam and all humanity who descended from him dominion, lordship over all the earth. We read that in Genesis 128. And God blessed them, that being Adam and Eve, and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and then subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And dominion carries with it this very idea of ownership, of possession. 
So God not only lovingly provides what we need in all his creation, but he also gives us, as people, the pinnacle of his creation, ownership over the rest of his creation. In other words, there is a divine right to property, to ownership, that is rooted in creation itself. What you have rule over, you're supposed to care for. You're supposed to protect to utilize, to enjoy, and to guard for the glory of God. And when you do that, you reflect God's own provision and protection of his creation. And the eighth commandment, then, is given by God, and it is designed to guard against any injustice that would violate that sacred right of ownership. So God is Lord over all things. So anything you own ultimately is God's. And when he says, you shall not steal, he does that to provide and to protect for his creation so that there is no injustice done against it. Which brings us then to ask the question, well, what does this commandment instruct us to do? What are the sins that it is prohibiting and the duties that it is requiring of us? What does it tell us not to do? And what does it tell us to do to guard and maintain this right of ownership? Well, chiefly, it is this. We must trust, then, God's providence in our lives rather than try to take that which is not ours to take. When we take that which God has not given us, we fail to trust His good providence, His good care of us. So what are some of the sins then prohibited by this commandment which would do that, which would reflect of lack of trust in our God? The word used here in this eighth commandment to steal or to not steal it really communicates the idea of taking something from someone without their knowledge. And so there's this secretive element there. However, as we know, every sin that is prohibited in the Ten Commandments is simply a heading for multiple sins that flow from it. And there is a wide range of sins that the Bible uh, forbids that are related to this ideal of stealing or theft. Theft and robbery can happen in many different ways. So first, obviously, is outright burglary, breaking in and entry, robbery, shoplifting, larceny. Any unlawful taking of personal property is a violation of this commandment. Those sins are rather obvious. But there are other ways that people steal, that people demonstrate the heart of a thief and take from others which is not theirs to take. And we know that governments will steal from their citizens by wasting away the resources which they have been granted for the good of the public. But citizens will also rob from their government when they do not pay lawful taxes, which, by the way, is something Jesus taught his disciples to do, to render to Caesar what is his and to God what is his. People steal from their employers in ways big and small. One of the ways they do that, though, is simply by wasting time. Idleness is a sin that is forbidden by this Eighth Commandment, a sin of which the Bible often warns against. 
For example, Proverbs 13, 4. The soul of the sluggard, the lazy one, the one who is idle, craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. Now, idleness, of course, is not legitimate rest. Real rest is something that God gives us. That, too, is grounded in creation. We saw that back when we considered the commandment regarding the Sabbath. We are to enjoy rest. But idleness is the neglect of our duties and work when it is time to be working. So scrolling through social media or watching cat videos when we're supposed to be busy with other responsibilities is a theft of time that is not ours to take. And employers, of course, can break this commandment as well when they demand more time than they ought from their employees or they pay them unfair wages or require them to do things outside of what was contractually agreed upon. In Leviticus, within God's civil law to Israel, he gives this command, you shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. Sounds like the Ten Commandments. And then he says, the wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until morning. What is it getting at? Well, it's getting at the fact that employers ought to pay their employees in a timely manner. Don't withhold from them. Deuteronomy 25.4, you shall not muzzle an ox that is treading out the grain. And the idea there is that as an ox is treading out grain, he is permitted to eat some of that grain off the floor. And this is a metaphor that Paul alludes to in 1 Timothy 5 to declare that a laborer deserves the wages of his labor. And if an employer doesn't give it, that is theft. That violates the eighth commandments. Another sin we see forbidden in the Bible that falls under this eighth commandment is something the Bible calls man-stealing. In the Old Testament, this was punishable by death. And so we read, whoever steals a man, Exodus 21, 16, whoever steals a man and sells him and anyone found in possession of him shall be put to death. Well, what does that sound like? That is chattel slavery, the unlawful taking of humans and the selling of them. Now, we may think in 2024, well, as humanity, we've risen beyond this particular sin, but the sad reality is, statistically speaking, there are more slaves now than when chattel slavery was legally protected by nations and governments of this world. Now, I'm sure, though, we hear that and we say, well, Thankfully, I've never engaged in the unlawful taking of humans. And most of us would probably say, I've never broken into my neighbor's home to take their TV, their jewelry, or other such goods. And perhaps you are a hard and diligent worker. You don't idle away your time. You're careful in how you work. Or if you are an employer, you pay your employees carefully what they ought to be paid. And you feel pretty good then about keeping this eighth commandment. But remember, every commandment does go deeper. It cuts to the heart so that it is not just outward sins that are viewed. 
in view, but those inward sins as well, our thoughts, our affections, our desires. And at the heart of this commandment, the sin that is prohibited is the sin of greed. I love how Kevin DeYoung defines greed. He says, greed is stealing with the eyes of the heart. According to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, Paul says that greed, which is not acknowledged as sin and repented of, where a person continues in that greed as a way of life, that kind of greed can keep a person out of the kingdom of heaven. It is a dangerous and a serious sin, and it is a dangerous sin because it seems so innocent. I mean, what's a little bit of greed? But there are no innocent sins. They all break God's law. A greedy heart is one that is never satisfied with what God provides. It wants more and more, echoing that chorus from the Rolling Stones, I can't get no satisfaction. We manifest greed when we hold on to our earthly possessions more tightly than we ought. We treasure the things of the kingdom of this world more than the heavenly treasures of the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus warns against this, of course, again in his Sermon on the Mount. He says in Matthew 6, 19, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And Jesus doesn't mean here that we should not value the things of this earth, we ought to. In fact, that's why we have the Eighth Commandment, because God does care about physical things, and we ought to care about them as well. And it is wise to to plan financially for the future and to save. Those are good things. And it is certainly permissible to have nice things in your life that you enjoy. Jesus is not warning against ownership here. But he is saying, don't cherish the things of this world so much that you hold on to them, that they are more important to you above the heavenly treasures of the kingdom of Christ. In Luke 12, a man comes to Jesus and he asks him to arbitrate in a case uh, regarding the division of an inheritance. And Jesus refuses to do so And he warns the man and all those who would listen, and he says, Take care and be on guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. That's materialism, a heart of greed. But how do you guard against that, especially in 2024, when it's so easy to get many things and when we're so tempted by the offer of this world to accumulate more stuff, more possessions at the expense of building up those treasures in heaven. How do you guard against greed? Well, one way you do that is by following the duties that this commandment requires. And so what are the duties implied by the Eighth Commandment? Well, again, they're many and varied. The duties implied by this prohibition against stealing are truthfulness in all of our 
business transactions and commerce, moderation in our use of earthly things, not wasting them, being careful, uh, giving freely according to our abilities that God has given us to the needs of others, being diligent in our work, using God's provisions faithfully. And so there are two words, I think, that really summarize all these duties that we see laid out throughout the Scriptures that uh, this commandment, the Eighth Commandment, requires of us. Those two words are this, stewardship and generosity. If we're to love our neighbors as this commandment calls us to do, our hearts should be moved to generosity rather than greed, which means that as we are able, as God enables us, not out of compulsion, but out of a, a joyful will, we will give. We will give of our time, of our talents, of our wealth to assist and to care and help those that we can. And the Bible shows us, especially those within the church, we ought to help. So much so that God has created an office within the church, the office of deacon, to lead the church, to encourage them to be generous with what God has given. But not only is generosity required by this commandment, so is stewardship. It's the careful management of those things, those good gifts that God does give me to use them wisely in my life. It means that I will be moderate and careful with the resources He gives, knowing that they ultimately are God's and not my own. And those who squander God's provision are easily tempted to turn towards the provisions He has given others to covet them, to be greedy, to desire them, and perhaps even to take that which is not theirs to take. You see, the Eighth Commandment, what it does is confront us with yet another dark corner of our fallen human hearts that need God's grace and forgiveness. What this commandment confronts us with is this. We think that we deserve more than what God has already given. And so we fail to trust His loving care. We think we deserve more than what God provides us, and so we fail to trust His loving care. Stealing ultimately fails to trust God's providence. It is another flaw that comes from that sinful condition going all the way back to our first parents, Adam and Eve. In fact, God gave them everything they absolutely needed. He gave them a garden of bounty and the blessing of His very presence. And despite this, though, Adam and Eve tried to steal from God by taking that which was not theirs to take. They failed to trust what He had given them. That one thing that they didn't have, that one thing that He forbid them to take, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that is what their thieving hearts craved and what they reached for. And so we read there in Genesis 3, verse 6, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, 
She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And when Adam and Eve reached for that forbidden fruit, what they were ultimately reaching for was equality with God. They wanted to have the power to provide themselves in the same way that God had provided for them, independently of his loving watch care over them. And that is why God takes so seriously this sin of theft that is forbidden in the Eighth Commandment. When we fail to trust God's provision in any way, we then try to be equal with God by trusting in ourselves, and that is the greatest act of robbery of all. It robs God of the glory that He is due. And who amongst us has not at some time failed to trust His providence? The heart of greed, that theft with the eyes of the heart, is not far from any one of us. And often with a victim mentality, we think we haven't really received what we deserve. He hasn't given me what I need, but He has. And yet we fail to trust Him. But because we feel that we deserve more, well, who cares if I waste a little time on my job? I deserve it. I work hard anyways. Who cares if I cheat just a little bit on my taxes? The government takes so much from me anyhow. Who cares about a little bit of greediness? I deserve the biggest piece of cake. Who cares if I didn't help my neighbor when I felt compelled to and it was within my power to do so? Well, God cares. He cares so much that within this covenant charter of the Ten Commandments, He forbids us not to steal because He will provide. He will be a God to us. We don't need to try to take that provision from anyone else, but trust His provision. He will meet our every need, and He does, including the need for someone to save us from our failure to keep this Eighth Commandment, which is why, once again, we need Jesus. We need the Christ of the commandments to keep this commandment for us so that through Him we might keep it for the glory of God. You see, this is the promise we get from this commandment. Jesus gives us what we do not deserve because he suffered that which we did deserve. Jesus gives us so much. He gives us what we really don't deserve. And he did that by suffering what we really did deserve. Unlike Adam, who reached out to take which was not his, which he did not deserve, Jesus, the better Adam, the second Adam, as the Bible calls him, stepped down from his place in heaven which he very much deserved, for he was God, the second person of the Trinity. And as we read there in Philippians 2, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, to be held on to. He was willing to take on flesh, become a servant, suffer and die, even the death of the cross, all things which he did not deserve, so that he could save us from what we did deserve, which was a death on a cross, a thief's death, 
We deserve the judgment and the wrath of God because we have broken every one of these commandments in some way through thought and word and deed. We are robbers who try to steal God's glory and become God into ourselves. We deserve the thief's death. And yet Jesus suffered that death in our place. Jesus died for thieves between two thieves. And in doing that, he wins for you that which you do not deserve, a heavenly inheritance of peace and joy and hope that comes from being forgiven and made right with God, forgiven of all the theft of your thieving heart. And so when it comes to the Eighth Commandment then, be like that repentant thief who hung on the cross next to Jesus, who when he heard the other thief mocking Christ, he rebukes him and he says, as we read in Luke 23, do you not fear God since you you are under the same sentence of condemnation and we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And what was Jesus' reply to that thief? Truly I say to you, you will be with me in paradise. Jesus rewarded him with what he didn't deserve, the very inheritance of heaven. I mean, that thief on the cross next to Christ had wasted his entire life taking what was not his to take, stealing from others, hurting his neighbor, failing to trust God's provision. But in that one moment, because of repentance and faith, seeing that he had broken this eighth commandment and crying out for the mercy of God that is only found in Christ, Jesus gives to that thief the greatest reward of all. He made him his own. He made him part of his kingdom. That's what the Christ of the commandments does for thieves like you and me. He makes us part of God's people. And so, yes, do not steal. Do not deny God's providence, but trust in it by trusting in His greatest provision for you, who is Jesus Christ. Come, died, buried, risen, and ascended to save thieves like you and me. And then with a heart of generosity, love your neighbor well through Christ your Lord. Let us pray. Father in heaven, again, we thank you for your word and for its truth. We ask that you would continue to impress it upon our hearts. We're thankful that you have provided us all that we need, both in life and in death, that you give us all things, and you have blessed us with Christ our Lord so that we might be made right with you when we come to you in faith and repentance. And so, Father, we praise you for these things now in the name of Jesus our Savior. Amen.